you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 John 1. I would like to read from there this morning and I just want to talk to you. I'm going to read a few things to you as I get started and as you're finding that passage in your Bibles. What is God like? What kind of God is he? How may we expect him to act towards us and toward all created things? The heavens declare the glory of God. And we're grateful that they do. And the firmament shows his handiwork and his power certainly revealed from there. And we marvel at it. But we would see God. As Job cried out. Oh that he may come and appear before me. You ever wanted to have that audience with God in your life. And Jesus said blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. But how shall we see him? By what perception? Who? What shall help us see him who is invisible? The father is made of none. Neither created nor begotten. The son is of the father alone. Not made nor created. But begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the father and the son. Not made nor created. Nor begotten. But proceeding. God exists in himself and of himself. His being he owes to no one. His substance is indivisible. He has no parts but is single in his unitary being. The doctrine of the divine unity. Trinity means not only that there is but one God. It means also that God is simple, uncomplex, one with himself. The harmony of his being is the result not of a perfect balance of parts, but the absence of parts. Between his attributes, no contradiction can exist. He need not suspend one to exercise another. For in him all his attributes are one. All of God does all that God does. He does not divide himself to perform a work. But works in the total unity of his being. We however trifle with unglamorous toys. Concoctions and inventions that we become fascinated with. When the uncreated, the God of self-existence and unlimited power is all around us waiting to reveal himself to us and to be disclosed. We as humans are occupied with building a better mousetrap. Perhaps we'll build a telescope to discover something about the dirt on Saturn. 
When the incomprehensible, unfathomable, self-existent God is waiting for someone to believe that he is. Yes, send your telescopes into space, but not to examine dirt. Discover the creator and stand in awe of his power. But how sad the multitudes of Christians who will pass their whole life on this earth without once having thought or tried to think seriously about the being of God. And if I as your pastor can help you, then I certainly will try. Few of us have let our hearts gaze in wonder at the I am, the self-existent self, back of which no creature can think. And for this, we are now paying too heavy a price in the secularization of religion and the absolute collapse of our society. God is everything and man is nothing. Man, for all his genius, is but an echo of an original voice, a reflection of uncreated light. We are not that light. We are a reflection of it. If there were no light, there would be no us. And we are not that voice, but a mouthpiece of that voice. Take the voice away, and we have nothing to say. God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, And upholds all things by the word of his power. There's nobody else even close to Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the power, the legal rights to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, nor of the will of flesh, or of the will of man, but they were born by the will of God. And Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For in him, Jesus, were all things created in the heavens and upon the earth, things visible and things invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things have been created through Jesus Christ and unto him. And he is before all things and in Jesus Christ, everything consists and has its being, everything. So whatever God is and all that God is, he is this in himself. 
All life is in God and all life is from God. Whether it is the lowest form of life that might be inanimate. Or whether it is the most high, self-conscious, intelligent light of a seraphim or a cherubim. No creature has life in itself. All life is a gift from God. Missionaries have reported stories on their travels and their service in Hindu lands. Where it was not uncommon to see Hindu worshippers knocking upon trees. Or knocking upon a stone and whispering, are you in there? Are you in there? In a hope to somehow be able to encounter the God that they were seeking after. But when God came, he didn't come in trees and he didn't come in stones. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory. The glory is the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. And he walked among us. He wasn't a monk living on a remote island or in a very high, hard to reach hill where nothing can survive. He walked among us. He walked in our markets and down our streets. He walked into our temples and he walked among the unclean and he went into the areas of sickness and he went where other racists would not go. Because he loved them all. No, when he came in the flesh, he came to be near us and he became to be present with us. Entering into our sufferings, bearing our pains and taking our sins. Now someone who in spite of his past sins honestly wants to be reconciled to God. May cautiously ask, if I come to God as bad as I've been. How will he act toward me? What kind of disposition will he have of me? What will I find him to be like? And the answer is that he will be found to be exactly like Jesus. For Jesus said that he that has seen me has seen the Father. God will not force his attention upon us. This is evident. He is there waiting for the man of faith to believe that he is. And when that man or woman believes that he is, they shall encounter God. For he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But he will not intrude into you. Satan will. But God will not. If we would be welcomed as the prodigal was, then we must come as the prodigal came. And when we so come, even though the Pharisees and the legalists will sulk and complain that you have a right to be with God, there will be a feast of welcome within and music and dancing as the father takes his child again to his heart. The greatness of God rouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages us to not be afraid of him. And here is the paradox of faith to fear And to not be afraid. And that is the beauty of what is met in Jesus Christ. And I would like to draw your attention to 1 John 1. And I would like to read this to you. 
First John 1, that which was from the beginning, that is Jesus, which we have heard, that is Jesus, which we have seen with our eyes, Jesus, which we have looked upon, Jesus, which our hands have handled, Jesus, the word of life, Jesus, for the life, Jesus, was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness And show to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And this is very important. These things write we unto you. That your joy may be full. This then is the message which we've heard of him. And declare to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ his son Cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we've not sinned. We make God a liar. And his word is not in us. And I just this last verse. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation of our sins and the sins of the world. And I just want to talk to you for just a moment about this. About God, about Jesus, and about the church. About you. And I pray that you will listen intently because I believe the collapse of our society is an absolute desperation for an answer. And they're not going to get it from the world or theatrics or political maneuvering. God has allowed us to put our hopes in that. And maybe even for a majority of people in our world today. Whether you see things that are happening in the world. They still might hope in political maneuverings. But it hasn't been the answer. And it will never be the answer. The answer is a right relationship with God where God is exalted and God is feared. And God is highly lifted up in our thoughts and in our worship. The central and main focus of a man's life is that he worships God. Because whatever man worships, he bears the image of it. And so I just want you to consider things for just a moment. When you look up in the night sky. And it's a. A sky that you can see into. There's not a lot of city lights. There's not a lot of clutter or pollution. And it's just clear. And the moon's not very bright. Maybe the moon is even absent in the night sky. And you look up there. And it's amazing to look at. It is, it is, it is filled with stars and filled with galaxies. And, and you can even see some of the extents of our Milky Way galaxy. And when you're looking, you're looking really at 
at distant, distant distances where light has traveled thousands or tens of thousands of years just so you can see that speck of light. But what you're looking at is not where it is at the present moment. It's where it was. And you're looking at all of this and it's an amazing thing to see and you see that light. And all of that light is a, a, a light that has been given and generated by God as he empowered the creation to give testimony of his power and of his glory. And when you look up into the night sky, you see also a blackness and a darkness that is in it. And I want you to be mindful of this, that when you look up into the sky at night and you see all of the blackness and all of the darkness, it's not because there's an absence of light right there. It's simply because there is nothing upon which light can shine. And if there was an object there that light could shine upon, you would see the object of it. But because we can't see it, space is relatively dark and it's relatively black. And it is light that gives glory to things. And it is things that give praise to light. We admire the beauty of a rose and we look at that and we see it and we, and we cherish that and men give their, their wives and, 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 and their friends roses and so forth and we do that because they're beautiful. But if you were to turn the lights out and you were in absolute darkness, there's nothing beautiful about that rose. You don't see it. All of the color, all of the luster of it is now gone and it's for your information, probably not even there. It is the light that shines upon the rose that gives us its beauty. And it is the light reflecting or the rose reflect, reflecting that light that gives praise to the light. You understand what I'm saying. And when Jesus Christ came into the world, when he who is God became flesh and he walked among us, one of the things that the apostles are saying is this, we beheld his glory. We beheld something in him that we hadn't seen from any other man. Something so absolutely unique and profound and beautiful. And what was it for the first time in all of history, for the first time in regards to every man that would ever walk upon the earth, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than Isaiah, greater than John the Baptist, greater than anybody, was this one true, only begotten Son of God that the Father could look upon with all of His radiance and brilliance and light and shine upon that Son and say, this is the complete expression of who I am. And when you see Jesus, you see God. And you know what God is like. And you know how God will treat a woman who's been caught in adultery. And you know how God will treat children when they run to him. With a, with a, with a very stark and, and drastic difference between how the religious will treat the children and how God will treat the children. How the religious will treat the adulterer and how God will treat the adulterer. And how the religious will treat lepers and how God will treat lepers. And how the religious will treat the poor and how God will treat the poor. Because it wasn't until Jesus came that we could really know, how is he going to treat me? 
Just like he did. And God never changes. He's to say yesterday, today, and forever. And so he never changes. So the same way Jesus treated people 2,000 years ago is the same way he treated them 4,000 years ago. It's the same way he treats them today. And we find this in Jesus Christ and all of this glory and all of this splendor. And nobody, you don't read it anywhere, but nobody ever came into the presence of Jesus Christ and just said, I wonder what God is like. And it's true that men wanted to see the Father. And Jesus was able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen him. He was the only man that was able to say that. Nobody else was. And Jesus is the light. He's the originator of it. He's the cause of it. He's the sustainer of it. And as Jesus was the expression of the Father and the Father's light and love shone upon him and reflected through him so that men might know what God is like. So the church is that object upon which Jesus shines So that men everywhere will be able to know what Jesus is like. We are not the light. He is the light. But we have light because he looks upon us. Just like the sun looks upon the moon. And the moon has light. It has it not in itself. So we, because God looks upon us, are a reflection of the light. And when people are to look at the church, they're to see the beauty of God. They're to see the loveliness of God. They're to see the glory of God and the aspect that the church is supposed to reveal that. We can't say to anybody as the church that if you've seen us, you've seen God. Because we're not deity and Jesus is. But we should as the church be able to say that if you've seen us, you have seen Christ. You have seen him. And if that's the truth, and if people want to know, if I go to the God who is the one who's going to judge me and hold me accountable to my sins, and I'm very aware of my sins, how is that God going to treat me? Then we can say, just like Jesus would treat you. But over the centuries, if people were to ask that question about their sins and their their corruption and their wickedness in regards to that, how will Jesus treat me? We're very careful to say the same way the church will, because that's not always a good thing. The church hasn't always been good. The church has not always been a reflection of Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy and his goodness and his kindness and his joy and his delight. But boy, I tell you, when they started off with this church, they sure were. First John, the apostle, talks about it. We're introducing you to a fellowship of joy with God. And over the centuries, men have touched it. And now the church, for the most part, is filled with the reflection of light that has bounced off of other men. Maybe heroes of the faith. Maybe pioneers of certain things. And maybe other things that just shouldn't even be seen. And the church begins to reflect that. It begins to reflect men and methods and traditions and denominations, but not Christ. And we are to reflect Him. We're to be pure to Him and Good to him and would to God in our day and in our generation. And this is my desire for us as a church. And it can only be done by the Holy Spirit. But would to God that if people would ever come to us. And they say, what is Jesus like? They'd be able to say in some way, 
I think some way you can see his reflection in First New Testament church. That in some way you can see his love and you can see his grace and you can see his compassion and you can see his care and his help and his benevolence and his holiness and his righteousness and his justice. Because I've never seen a people so reliant and and diligent in the grace of God and at the same time so repentant when they've sinned. So true to God with a desire for holiness and a walk after the Lord. And so... I'll offer you a twofold ministry. And it, this is really simple, but I'll offer you a twofold ministry. And I pray that you will accept it. And it's not a ministry for exclusively to a particular type of person. It's just a ministry to the young or the old, to men or to women, to any of us that are here. Maybe a twofold calling. And calling number one would be this. That you would begin to live in such a way that you seek to only be an expression of Jesus Christ. And that you would be honest when you're not. But in everything that goes on in your life and every event that happens to your life. You would seek to be the expression of Jesus Christ. In the way you forgive. In the way that you love. In the way that you're patient. In how hard you love. In the way that you serve. That you don't live like Israel. Walking through a wilderness. Spending the whole time griping and murmuring and complaining. But you're a reflection of Jesus Christ in the earth. And when people encounter your life, they're going to be able to say in some way, I've met Jesus. I've watched, I believe, how he would love, how he would care, how he would forgive, how he would pray. Because honestly, isn't it Jesus that lives in us? And so I'm not saying put a bracelet on WWJD. I'm asking put Jesus in. And in a real and tangible way, let Jesus begin to live back out of your life. Come on. When you're offended. When you're hurt. When you're bitter. When you're mad. When you don't like somebody. What would the life of Jesus do in you? And I would imagine that it would give us a lot of space to repent. Because all too often... It's not Jesus that comes out of me. And that's the second calling. The second calling is this. That you live a life that is repentant and raw and honest. And when you fail to represent Jesus, you own it. And you openly repent to those and ask their forgiveness So that in that moment, they can see the light of your father shining upon you. And what a good, good father he really is. 
And what a great Savior Jesus is. Because the fact of the matter is we're all going to fail in representing Jesus. And it's not the fact that we perfectly represent him that's going to convert the world or bring the harvest in. It is what we do when we fail to represent him. And when people see us repenting and caring and longing and saying, that's not what Jesus is like. I totally blew it. Like I did and I do and I did Friday night. I totally blew it. It's just like you've got to repent. You've got to expose yourself and not hide behind a religious piety. That it's okay. It's not okay if you want to be an expression of Jesus. It's okay if you want to be an expression of religion. But if you want to be an expression of Jesus, it's not okay. And I believe if we as Christians would begin to live that way and stop attacking one another... And stop attacking the world. Stop attacking people in the world that are Christians. That are living the only way they can live. And begin to provide solutions and help and prayer and intercession. And give the gospel message. And be kind and forget like Jesus was. I don't think so many people in the world would rejoice when Christians fall. But there would be an understanding that we are all trusting in his grace and his power to save us. When Jesus revealed the Father, what was the glory of it? What did he do that nobody else did? Because certainly God was revealed in other times. Certainly there were aspects of God's nature and character that could be seen in Joseph or Daniel or Abraham. Certainly those things were there, but they could not be that expressed image of the Father. And what was it really about Jesus that was so profound? Well, we do know in John's gospel, he said that when Jesus came, grace and truth came. It doesn't mean there wasn't grace and truth before the coming of Jesus, but it was never manifest and exposed like it was when Jesus came. Some people tend to think that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Why? Because imperfect people were giving aspects of the character of God. And so they would think that in the Old Testament you have God the Father acting. And God the Father is this angry father who's going around immediately whipping everybody that messes up and pouring out his wrath. But then the Son comes in, in the New Testament and we get to deal with the Son who's a lot more loving and kind and generous. And that is an absolute brutal portrayal that is false in every way. Because God is one and whatever God does, all Of God does it. If the Father does it, the Son does it. And if the Son does it, the Spirit does it. And if the Spirit does it, the Father does it. And so does the Son. They're in absolute unity and oneness. And so what did Jesus reveal? There's so many things. You know I could never explain this today. And you really don't want me to explain it to you. You'd rather the Holy Spirit show you. Because then you're going to be in awe. But I will tell you this. The fact that God could be portrayed as a God of wrath. And a God of judgment. And a God of discipline. Would make him fearfully terrible. This powerful God. God. 
who can tolerate no error, no wrong, no sin, and brings judgment and wrath and discipline, would no doubt be a God that is feared. Just look at the Muslims. But Jesus portrayed a God who was compassionate and forgiving and benevolent and kind. Not that he wasn't portrayed that way, but Jesus fully portrayed him that way. And this God, as revealed through Jesus Christ, is infinitely desirable. Infinitely desirable. Oh, how I want the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ. How I want to be His Son. Not that I fear going to hell, which I do, and not as an escape from judgment, which I don't want to experience. But I have seen in Jesus such a glory of the Father that I'm arrested every day when, Father, I want to be your son. Because you're beautiful. And Jesus showed me that you're beautiful. I saw that in him. And I see that in you. Some people would want the church to go around living in agony and despair and remorse all the time. It's like we changed it that the kingdom of heaven is agony, remorse, and despair. Rather than the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Christians should spend every moment of their life wailing in tears and remorse about how horrible they are. And that is the posture that Christians need to be living in. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. John said... We're inviting you to fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. And we're telling you this so your joy can be full. And I believe there was a manifest joy in them. I believe people could see it, that that they didn't look like crazy people. What are these people talking about? Joy. It was really there. And because Jesus could shine upon people like John and Peter and Paul... And these beautiful women who are devout followers of Jesus Christ, the various Marys. And when the church saw these people in redemption, they knew Jesus was beautiful. And they knew that Jesus was joyful. And yet religion has so crusted over the expression of Jesus Christ Across America and across Europe and I'm sure in other places as well. Religion has crusted over it so much. That the joy of the Lord. And the gladness of the people. Seems to be greatly lacking. It's like when people go to church for the most part. They're going to a schoolroom rather than the father's living room. Where they can enjoy being with dad and the family. Because this family doesn't fight. Now there are people that come. But they're not a part of the family because this family doesn't fight. The father won't let us. He convicts us. And he gives us love and forgiveness 
and patience with one another. So brawlers and fighters and gossipers and slanders, well, we'll leave them with God. He's the God of the house. But in his children, we don't want to be that way. We want to be an example of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to close with this. It's been a while since I've read this to you and I wanted to read it to you again because I really do pray that we would have a genuine love for God and a genuine expression for God and not a not a crusted over religion. It seems so stale. And so here's what I'd like to close with. What does a man look like who's been saved by the blood of another man? What does he look like? I mean, if, if you really have, then what do you look like? What does a man look like who has not gotten what he deserved, but he got infinitely better? What does he look like? What does mercy draped over a sinner make the sinner look like? What does the thirst look like in a man who begins to discover how deeply the creator actually loves him? What does that look like? And, and for a lot of us, we can go all week without really talking to God. What does the passion look like and feel like in a heart that has been suddenly given hope where they had no way out? What does that look like? Maybe you could get a picture if you could see somebody going to death row and the person's supposed to die tonight and all of a sudden a valuable piece of evidence just came forward and to find out the man is innocent and you unlock his cell and say, you are free. What does he look like? You think he's going to look like a lot of us do when we go to church? You're free. Amen. I mean, I, I just can't picture that. Going to be telling everybody, jumping and shouting. People say, oh, look how funny he looks. You think he cares? He was going to look a lot worse just a few hours later if he went to that death chamber. How does this person live? What do they look like? What are they like? What do the spiritual people look like? And I can assure you, it's probably not what you think. What does a man look like who's been told by the creator these things? Listen to this. I will never remember your sins again. Now, some of you've read that in the Bible. But you've yet to have God tell you that. But if God told you that. Imagine what it would do to you. And the same God says to you, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. What if he were to tell you that I'm coming again to get you. So that you can be with me forever. In paradise. In a world of no sin and death and corruption. 
And I will not leave you comfortless, but I personally will come to you and comfort you in your life. And I want you to be with me. Imagine God sitting down with you, taking your hand and saying, I want you to be with me. And I want you to see the glory that I had with my father before the creation. And I'm very excited about introducing you to him. What would that do to you? I mean, really think about it. I'm amazed at modern Christianity that we have, for the most part, completely lost our worship of God. Now, I know many of you are justifying yourself. Well, I haven't. But just look at the streets. And you will see the condition of society. And you say, well, those are the streets. Stay with me. I'm going to keep on this for months. What if God were to tell you no weapon formed against you will prosper? I will give you peace that goes beyond your understanding. I will deliver you from every bondage. I will fight for you against every enemy. When you pass through the fire, you will not burn. And when you go through waters, you will not drown. I will heal all of your diseases. I will direct all of your paths. I will give you power over all of the enemy. I will give you your daily bread. I will not let you be condemned ever. I will not let people stand against you and accuse you before me ever. I will silence them. My love will deliver you from all fear. I will put no conditions on my love for you. That I will love you unconditionally. By my grace I will perfect everything that concerns you. And I will make you pleasing to my father. When you're in trouble I will immediately be there to be your help. I will be your shepherd and I will lead you beside still waters. I will restore your soul. Some of you are dry in your spirit. He will restore it. If you believe it you'll let him do it. I will let angels camp all around you. I will comfort you in your sorrow. I will give you joy for your mourning. I will cover you with my feathers. And under my wings you can trust. I will be your shield and your buckler. No good thing will I ever withhold from you. I will marry you. And you will be mine. And I will be yours. And so I come back to the question. If God were to sit down with you and tell you that. What would you be like? Would you be different than you are? If, if, if I believed this, like I believe it, but if I believed it, like the Holy Spirit was actually, I, I'm, I'm personally, I would be a lot different than I am. I know that. And I'm longing to hear him tell me these things and assure me of these things so what characterizes a man who longs for God and seeks God what does he look like because a lot of religious people do but what is that man like is he jovial is he stern children come to him they came to Jesus is he a refuge for people's lives is he going to fight with you and brawl with you when you have a disagreement no, not the spiritual man. 
not the one who's been told this. Will he be happy or sad? Happy. Will he be inviting or will he be scary? Inviting. People will want to be with him. I remember, oh, this is probably 25 years ago. And I remember a group of pastors were asking me, would you like to come with us? We're going to go to this particular place. We're going to go see this man and he's a prophet. And it's a very well-known person. Very well-known. And they were talking to us about him and how you better, you need to get all your life cleaned up and you need to get things right because he's going to see right through you and all of that. And I said, I don't need to go. And they said to me, why? If you repent of your sins, God will confess, God will forgive you. And I said, oh, that's not why. But I'm not afraid to go to God. And you've made me afraid to go to this man. So either your testimony of him is wrong or he's wrong. And I don't need it. I fear my God, but I'm not afraid of him. And when people are pursuing God and people have been given this kind of grace, you're not afraid of them. You may respect them. You may honor them. But you're not afraid of them. I can go to them. I can go to them. And I know there'll be a refuge there. I know there'll be love because I see Jesus in their life. They're a reflection of that. And so this man that or woman that's been told this, can't you imagine them to be the most merciful people you've ever met in your life? I would. That's how I would see them. Abundant mercy. Why are you so good to me? I put all of this about you on Facebook and you never attacked me back. Why should I? I'm just glad you didn't know everything about me. I give you mercy. Why? Because that's what I want. I was dealing with a situation not long ago and somebody was very, very upset and angry about a situation. And I said, do you actually want justice? Do you actually want that? Because I can promise you, you don't want justice. So why would you demand it for somebody else? Now, a lot of us do that. We demand justice because we haven't heard God tell us this. But if you're a sinner that's been draped in mercy. If you're a person that has been given grace. If you're a person that Jesus has personally come and made his abode in and tells you, I'm coming to get you soon. And you're going to see my glory and I'm going to introduce you to my father. And I'm going to marry you. And nothing's going to separate us. And no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. And I'm never going to leave your abandoned. Come on. How could you be cruel? How could you be unmerciful? How could you be unkind? If that's what he did for you. No, I think this person would be joyful. I think this person, though they would fight many of the perils of this life in this wilderness. I believe that they would still be a person of great peace. Great confidence, great joy, great delight. And they would have authority. They wouldn't abuse it. They would have it. And when they spoke of Jesus, you would believe it. Not because they're perfect. But they sure represent him in a great way. Because even when they're wrong, 
they repent and they own it and they trust the Lord to give them a greater witness and that's so beautiful that's so beautiful but this morning all the honor to Jesus for a man walked among us and now we know what God's like and now we know how God treats people and this same Jesus now lives in me all glory to Jesus and it's like live through me live through me forgive through me be kind through me help me to love my enemies and do good to those who use me and those who persecute me and those who slander me help me to speak blessing let me be like you let somebody see you in my life would you stand with me and I just ask would you just this is my prayer this morning because this is worship guys what I taught you today is worship worship is not a song it's not a song it's beholding God and when you do you behold yourself and so I just this is what I ask if you could make this a prayer and I love what Jordan prophesied today about the altar and twice she said the altar is Jesus but how many of you would just make that altar before the Lord this morning and just ask the Lord restore my worship that's it restore my worship because if your worship is restored then this will be your ministry and this will be who you reveal because you are an expression of whatever light you're looking at good or bad that's the expression of what you worship so father we ask you this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would restore our worship and forgive me and forgive any of us who just automatically assume my worship is great oh God forgive us and Lord let us understand that it can always be more pure and as great as we think you are you're greater still and as high as we think you are you're higher still And as grand as we think you are, you're beyond that. And whatever we imagine omnipotence to be, you're greater. You're greater. You're greater. And I pray, God, that we will get to see you. And our hearts will fall in love with you, God. That we wouldn't have time to be bored. And the testimony of boredom is it's been a long time since I've seen Jesus. And I'm tired of looking at the church. And I don't blame you. Because if you're looking at the church, chances are you're not seeing how beautiful it really is. But look at the light. Look at Jesus. And be that reflection. So we're going to worship Him. Give you the opportunity to crowd to the Lord. Make the place where you are an altar fall upon Jesus. He is your